everyone. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. We are still in a really cold snap, so once again, we are recording remotely, but we are trying something different, so we hope we can bring really good quality sound to you guys. Yes, in case you're not aware, it's currently, like, it has been as cold as minus 45 with the wind chill here for the last few days, and uh, it's rough out there. Yes, so we have decided once again to stay cozied up in our homes and staying off the roads as much as possible. Which I appreciate. Yes, very much so. But that all being said, um, Dina, how's your French? I'm going to get this out of the way right now. My French is real bad. I (laughs) studied it in school for almost four years, and the most I retained was how to ask where the bathroom is. Like, that's pretty much it. So I'm going to do my best with the pronunciations for this episode, but I will say again, French is not my strong suit. I'm for sure on the same level as you. Um, My French teacher went on maternity leave in grade eight or nine in high school and then chose to not come back to our school to teach. So and they they just never replaced her. So that's a fun small town (laughs) school thing. So the French option just died there, which is a shame because I've always wanted to learn another language. They're like, kids, sorry, the one teacher that is going to teach you French is gone, so It honestly no. happened a lot. Our art teacher retired, and then that was the end of the art program also, so. <laughs> That's fine. I will teach you Bosnian, and you will be set. Oh, I'm so down for that. There you go. Uh, but we are going to try our best today with the French language, because we are both very excited to be exploring another old-timey, crimey case from the other side of the world. Our story this week takes us all the way to the former province of Gévaudan in France. Between 1764 and 1767, people in this area were terrorized by a man-eating creature we now know as the Beast of Gévaudan. It seemed to prefer attacking peasants who already lived very harsh lives and it had a preference for women and children, although it was happy to try and kill anyone that dared cross its path. By some accounts, it may have taken as many as 500 lives, leaving those who remained so afraid that they barred up their windows and were afraid to leave their homes at night. Today, we're going to explore how these terrible attacks started, as well as the eventual royal response to them. We're also going to be going into what exactly this thing was by going over everything from witness reports to some more recent theories. And that's right, we said theories because we still don't know exactly what it was. And we love a good mystery creature. As always, before we talk about the case, we want to go over exactly where and when this took place. Like we mentioned, the attacks took place between 1764 and 1767 in the area formerly known as Gévaudan, which is now modern-day Loger. One of the main sources of information for this episode was the book Monsters of the Gévaudan, The Making of a Beast, and it describes the area as almost a fairy tale kind of place, and the attacks really helped to lend to that vibe. Peasant life in 1760s France was difficult to begin with, but the end of the Seven Years' War a year prior to the attacks had made things much worse. The economy was a mess, and the majority of people were not only struggling, they were incredibly frustrated with those in charge. And I'm not going to lie, I really loved history class in school, and I loved learning about everything that was going on in France during that time. You guys know by now I love historic cases, but this is a really interesting time for me. And you combine everything that was happening during this era with a giant wolf monster thing attacking people, like, how could you not be intrigued by that? Absolutely. I've always been intrigued by the, like, 
paranormal legends and folklore around all the different cultures and this is just like one of those right like I love learning about like vampires from different cultures or werewolves from different cultures so this kind of fell into that for me absolutely and it really does kind of fall into that whole like fairy tale kind of story but very much so it is real and it's scary this all happened during the 1760s, but we're actually really lucky because of the number of illustrations, stories, and witness accounts that were published. These attacks deeply impacted those in the area of Jevoudan, but it also captivated people all around the country. Eventually, these stories made their way to other parts of Europe, earning the beast a spot in the nightmares of people all around the continent. All of this was going on during a time when the printing press was booming. Many people got both their news and entertainment from various pamphlets, articles, and newspapers. During this time, the king forbade the press from talking about certain types of political news, so they had to find other stories to entertain their readers. This is actually a really fascinating piece of true crime history because the kind of things that they printed were pretty similar to many of the things that we talk about today. They tell stories of things happening in various villages, often focusing on shocking stories in order to sell as many issues as possible and keep their customers coming back for more. This type of reporting was called Fait divers, which was popularized by a man named Francois Morenas. As the attacks were happening, he reported on the beast, and because of coverage like this, it was soon nationally known and feared. And you really can't blame people for being so fascinated by it. That being said, we do want to point out that, like many of the cases we've discussed from around this time, the information can be a little inconsistent. We've done our best to provide you with the most accurate information that we can, and we'll let you know when the stories might vary. Because they definitely do. That's something that makes this case so fascinating. We have so many different reports and descriptions of this creature. It doesn't really surprise us that we still aren't 100% sure of what it is. And the theories are a lot of fun, too. We were able to find a bunch of original reports, as well as paintings that were done of the creature, and they're pretty amazing. A poster from 1764 describes the beast as... Reddish-brown with a dark ridge stripe down the back, resembling wolf, hyena, but as big as a donkey. Long, gaping jaw, six claws, pointy, upright ears, and a supple, furry tail. Mobile like a cat's that can knock you over. Cry, more like horse neighing than wolf howling. That is one hell of a description. For some reason, to me, the idea of a giant werewolf-looking monster thing neighing at you is just amazing. Absolutely. It's kind of like when you, like, meet someone and their voice does not match their face. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, man. This same year, a newspaper wrote, Picture of the monster desolating the Jevoudan. This beast is the size of a young bull. It likes to attack women and children. It drinks their blood, cuts off their heads, and carries them off. Man, they they really didn't hold back with these descriptions. It's very clear that the purpose of these papers was to sell, 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 and definitely not to help keep people calm. Yeah, absolutely. Fear is a huge sales tactic. Keep them scared and make them feel like they have to find out what is happening with the creature, no matter how far away they are. It's a great way to sell papers, that's for sure. It's also pretty interesting how many different animals it gets compared to. Reports of the bees made their way to Germany, and many of those described it as something more like a gigantic kangaroo-type creature, which to me, a kangaroo is almost scarier than a wolf. I feel like it's certainly an unpredictable thing to see in medieval France. (laughs) 
Another report describes it as a mixture of a bear, hyena, wolf, and panther. Another writes of a semi-erect reptilian lion. That's a lot of pretty different descriptions, so let's summarize what we do know. So the beast is most likely a four-legged animal roughly the size of a horse. And that is one thing everyone can agree on. This thing is fucking huge. Reports on the snout can vary. Some describe it as long and wolf-like, while others compare it to more of a pig snout. The main thing people reported about the mouth area is the presence of gigantic and sharp teeth. It has a thick and strong tail that it uses as a weapon. The beast was reported to be able to knock a grown man to the ground with the use of its giant tail. That is something that the majority of the reports can agree on. A point of confusion seems to be the feet of this thing. There's a ton of different descriptions out there that tell of everything from hooves to a weird claw-hoof hybrid where each digit has its own little hoof. I spent way too much time picturing that. It's, it's kind of bizarre. I feel like that is very... I don't know, like Alice in Wonderland, very trippy kind of looking. Right? It kind of makes sense that the feet would be something that a lot of survivors couldn't seem to agree on, though. Because, like, you have this giant thing coming at you, you're probably going to heavily focus on the teeth or the giant tail that just knocked you to the ground. You aren't going to be investigating its toesies. Exactly. All right, so we've talked about Jevoudan and the beast that calls it home. Let's talk about some of these attacks. The attacks began in the summer of 1764. During that time, it was quite common for both women and children to lead flocks to pasture, and while this may sound idyllic in many ways, it was also incredibly dangerous. We'll get into more of this later, but it was very common to be attacked by animals while out tending to your flock. Oftentimes, sheepdogs and weapons helped to protect those responsible for the animals, but not everyone got so lucky. During that summer, a young woman was out tending to her cattle in the eastern part of Jevoudan when she saw a large animal charging at her. She would later describe it like a wolf, yet not a wolf. However, luckily for her, she was in the company of some very good boy bulls, and they apparently saw the beast coming at her and they chased it away. Apparently it came at her twice, and both times they charged at it until it ran away, and I hope those bulls got to live long bull lives after that and they were spared from becoming dinner for someone. I, I, I know I know that's not the case, but I'm just going to tell myself that because, like, that's pretty epic. Honestly, they deserve medals because, you know, dogs and cats and, and even rats get medals, but those bulls, those bulls deserve medals. They deserve not to be dinner, that's for sure. Absolutely. It's believed that the beast took its first victim on June 30th, 1764. 14-year-old Jean Boulet was out in a field with a herd of cattle or sheep, depending on which source you look at. As we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, some estimate the victim count of the beast to be around 500. That being said, many more were attacked, but survived. During that time, it wasn't really possible to go out and file a police report or anything, so basically, the peasants were just made to fend for themselves for the first part of these attacks. It actually took a shockingly long time before any action was taken to protect the people of Jevoudan. This is one of the reasons there aren't any official reports from around that time, and our only real sources of the accounts are stories from either the media or survivors themselves. The unfortunate reality of it is that the majority of those in charge probably just didn't care about the fact that peasants were being attacked by giant animals. Yeah, you're probably not wrong there. 
There are a few other attacks that we know of, including a 15-year-old girl being attacked and killed by the beast. The exact nature of these attacks was another thing that made them so shocking. The beast didn't just attack people, it absolutely ravaged them. The majority of the victims had their throats completely torn out, while others were killed so brutally that they were completely decapitated. The beast took at least one more life that month when it killed a 16-year-old boy in a forest. September was a very bloody month for the people of Jeboudan. It took the lives of three more teens and killed its first adult woman. By this point, people were horrified. The nature of these attacks was unlike anything people had ever seen. The worst thing was that people actually reported the beast getting even bigger during that time. The death toll continued to rise throughout the year, and by the winter, the entire country had heard of the beast of Javoudan and its insatiable appetite. It wasn't before long that this became something that the king could no longer ignore, so Louis XV finally decided to do something about it. He offered a huge reward for whoever was able to kill the beast, totaling about the amount that the average person during that time would make in an entire year. This was something that had never really been done before. The idea of making so much money just by killing a single animal appealed to a huge number of people, and soon enough as many as 10,000 hunters from all around the country arrived in Jeboudan to try to kill the beast. Like we said, wolf attacks were quite common during the time. Because of that, professional wolf hunting was considered a relatively lucrative career and was something people took very seriously. Wolf hunters had their own centuries-old code of conduct that they followed and they took great pride in their work. These hunters would use dogs to help them take an animal down and then they'd only be paid when they brought a wolf head back to whoever had hired them. We're sure there are many tales of heroism from this time, but one of the main ones that stood out to us was the story of 10-year-old Jacques Portefeuille. He and a group of his friends, all around the same age as him, were out playing when they were attacked by a beast. The kids were able to fight the beast off using just sticks with Jacques bravely taking the lead and putting himself directly in harm's way. Neither Jacques or his seven friends were injured that day. That's pretty impressive considering the victim count of this thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The king was actually so impressed that the crown paid for Jacques' education. This is a huge deal considering many children his age during the time did not attend school at all. By this point, hundreds of articles have been published about the beast, each more thrilling and bloody than the next. People were clearly terrified and along with wanting the attacks to stop, they wanted answers. What was this creature and why was it terrorizing them? When it comes to the second question, a man named Gabriel Florent de Chaussure-Beaupré, a well-known and respected bishop, published a letter saying that the beast was sent by God to punish those who were committing sins. He stated that people were not educated enough when it came to religion and that women and girls who were killed had loose morals. You gotta love some good old-fashioned victim-blaming from the church. Thanks for that, Gabriel Florent de Chaussure-Beaupré. By this point, things were looking desperate. Despite tons of effort, no one was able to hunt the beast down. It was reported that it escaped multiple times no matter how many people or how many dogs were pursuing it. Not only that, some say that a few hunters actually managed to shoot the beast. However, their bullets didn't seem to do enough damage for it to even stagger. King Louis needed something to be done and quick. Jean-Baptiste Duhamel and his team seemed to be the right men for the job. He was an esteemed captain and hunter who had proven himself many times in the past. 
Unfortunately, even he could not take down the beast. He faced his own series of frustrations during his hunt, and he tried to organize it so that villages would be prepared for eventual attacks, but the locals and the guards didn't seem to want to cooperate with him. One of the notes that I found that I just absolutely loved was they really, really wanted to catch this thing, so they were trying to, like, think outside of the box, so to speak. (laughs) And so one of the things that they did, like his crew did, was they thought to themselves, like, okay, the majority of the victims are women, right? So let's dress up like women. And so they went out in full, like, dresses and everything to try to, like, lure the beast out and hunt it, which ended up not working. But the idea of these, like, big, burly, like, French hunters in dresses trying to hunt this beast is just absolutely amazing to me. I mean, that, it's... I, I find it interesting that they came up with that theory. I think it's not a bad plan as far as plans go. It's very oh, like man. Scooby-Doo, Bugs Bunny kind of approach. Very like. much so. I can imagine like Elmer Fudd putting on a dress to chase down Bugs Bunny, you know? Exactly. I absolutely love it. I love it. Oh, man. All right. Eventually, the king sent two professional wolf hunters out to find the beast, Jean-Charles Marc-Antoine Vamessel de Honneval and his son Jean-Francois to find a different approach. These names, you are you're handling them like a champ. I'm trying. You're I'm doing trying so well. I'm proud of you. This is good. <laughs> I'm glad it's not me. Their plan was to track the beast and attack it stealthily, whereas others had basically come at it with pitchforks and guns in dresses, apparently. Along with their eight well-trained bloodhounds, it appeared that they actually stood a chance. They killed a large number of Eurasian wolves, but each time the attacks would continue, they were replaced a few months later. On September 20th, 1765, a 71-year-old gun bearer for the king and his nephew shot a giant wolf near an abbey that many assumed was the beast. I have to say, making it to 71 years old in those days is an impressive achievement in of itself. Especially when your job is a gun bearer. Like, yeah, you've probably absolutely. seen I mean, some shit. The animal they killed was around five and a half feet long and weighed around 130 pounds. Upon killing the animal, he attempted to kill a female wolf and her two cubs in the area that he believed were related to the beast that he had already killed. The king rewarded them both with money and royal titles. The animal was stuffed and sent to the court as a trophy where it was displayed. The animal was actually seen by the survivor, Jean, who we talked about earlier. Both she and her sister confirmed that this was the beast that had attacked them based on the scars that it had on its body. People all around rejoiced, and they were finally able to sleep, knowing that the beast was finally gone. Or so they thought. By December, the attacks had started up again. To make things worse, something about the beast seemed different now. Before, it stalked cautiously, and it chose when it would attack. Now, it had absolutely no fear. Shepherds around the area noticed that it was no longer scared of the large cattle they used to keep it away. Dozens of deaths were reported around this time. There's a few different theories about how exactly the beast was finally killed, but most can agree that the man responsible for finally ending its reign of terror was a hunter named Jean Chastel on an organized hunt on June 19, 1767. The church really didn't help with the records of this attack staying accurate. 
They told stories of Jean Chastel shooting the creature after reciting his prayers and that he killed it with bullets that were homemade with Virgin Mary's medals. Both of these things were not true, but they did make for a hell of a story. We all love a little religious propaganda around here. And I have to say... Our previous episode on, like, Krampus and all the fun things around Christmas that encourage you to be good people. I feel like this kind of slots into that as well. It that the really is, does. You know, using this sort of, like, legend as a way to kind of keep people in line. It, it's interesting to me how quickly they use fear as a, a method of control and how effective it is. Especially when people were not, um, as a whole, very educated Exactly. As well. Yep, 100%. The body of the animal was stuffed by Dr. Boulanger, who also conducted a post-mortem report on it. When the animal's stomach was opened, it contained the remains of at least one person. After this, the attack seemed to stop, and just like that, the beast of Jeboudin was no more. With the beast dead, many people still had questions. A lot of folks had a hard time believing that it was just a wolf after they had spent years reading stories that almost bordered on the supernatural. This led to a lot of very interesting theories that people had, and still have, about what this could have actually been. One of the largest explanations for the attacks was that it was multiple animals. The differences in the descriptions really do show this. However, we know by now that witness accounts can often be unreliable during moments of great stress, and I feel like this would definitely count as a moment of great stress. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's more stressful than being chased by a giant beast that wants to eat you? I think I'd have a hard time remembering exact details after a traumatic event like that. Another popular theory held by many religious people was that the wolf was a punishment. We mentioned this before, but this was written about by the church, who many listened to without question. Life was already hard, and many saw the beast as just another part of an already difficult life. There were some who believed that the beast was a hyena, Now, this isn't what we would call the most viable theory, but it's interesting, so we wanted to include it. It was thought that maybe someone had a pet hyena that escaped and then began attacking people. Animals like this are not native to France, so it being a pet made the most sense. Hyenas don't exactly tend to attack humans, so there are a few holes in that theory. So if it wasn't a hyena, could it be possible that it was another type of animal? Like a lion? Yep. (laughs) The majority of people in France had never seen a living lion at the time, and the idea of one if you hadn't actually seen one would be pretty horrifying. Captain Duhamel actually wrote about this saying, You will undoubtedly think, like I do, that this is a monster, the father of which is a lion. What its mother was remains to be seen. And I mean, if, like you say, you hadn't seen a lion before, how would you describe it? You would be like, oh, it's like a wolf panther thing with a swishy tail, like a cat, right? So Exactly. So it does begin to explore the idea that the monster was some kind of strange animal hybrid, which is a pretty interesting direction to take all of this in. Some have suggested that a human was behind all of this. After all, the attacks were so brutal that many believed that an animal didn't have the ability to leave behind such a scene. Many of the victims were found without their heads, which led many people to believe that the attacks were done by a serial killer. A serial killer who was either dressing in a costume or was possibly a werewolf. This next theory is my favorite. It isn't actually what I think it was, but it's kind of fun in a really, really terrible way. 
So what if it wasn't quite a serial killer, but an animal that a serial killer had trained to do their bidding? It's like almost super villain type stuff. Mm-hmm. That's honestly what makes it so fun for me. I could definitely see it being this, especially, you know, with like maybe some rich nobility getting a little psychopathic or something. Right, exactly. Attacking, you know, the local peasants and stuff. I just picture like an evil villain as lion. (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. People thought the animal could be an armored war dog that was loyal to his or her owner and had a thirst for blood. Obviously, this isn't exactly the most realistic theory, but with the kind of reporting that was being done and the amount of fear that was spread, it isn't difficult to see why people assume the absolute worst. As it stands, we still don't really know what terrorized the people of France all those years ago. The stories and illustrations that are left behind leave us once again with more questions than we have answers. This is one of those stories that is so legendary at this point that the beast, whatever it was, has almost earned itself like a supernatural reputation. Whatever it was, we know it was terrible in ways that we probably can't even begin to imagine. And I, for one, am really glad that animal attacks like this aren't a normal part of life anymore. Yeah, for the most part, you don't have to worry about, you know, getting snatched on your way to work or something by a wolf or a bear. Unless you have some very specific uh, wilderness-type jobs, I think. Exactly. I actually have a few notes that I want to share about all this that I stumbled upon in my research, so... During this time, Jevoudan and really all of France had a huge wolf problem. And when I say that, I mean wolf attacks were incredibly common. Wolves were native to the region, and as the population of people grew, more and more people began to move into areas where they lived, and they'd raise livestock, which of course would make any wolf very happy. Between the 17th and 19th century in France, there were over 9,000 reported attacks by wolves. Most of them were reported to be rabid. I thought to myself, holy shit, that's a lot. So I decided to look at how common these attacks are now. And I was honestly pretty surprised at how often this even happens to this day. Not to this extent, but we're going to see this when we build things where animals live. Edmonton is a really great example of this because we have a huge coyote problem to the point where they started to go after people who are out with their dogs when before they used to completely stay away from you. And I mean, I grew up in the country, so I would be, you know, driving home from work and seeing all sorts of wildlife, you know, wolves, even like a lynx uh, I've seen too. Mm -hmm. But in the city, you don't often see anything but like rabbit or I guess the big like snowshoe hares. But I've definitely seen a couple of coyotes in our area lately. And I live in a fairly like residential neighborhood. So they're bad enough now where you'll be driving to the mall and you can see one like Mm -hmm. it's and I mean, that's a really good example So a huge amount of currently reported wolf attacks are now considered unprovoked or predatory, oftentimes carrying little kids away from their homes in many parts of the world. So in 2017, a three-year-old girl in Iran was carried out of her family garden by a wolf and was found two kilometers away. Luckily, she was alive, but that is terrifying. In 2016, a wolf attack was reported here in Canmore. Single victim attacks are a lot more common, but there's a shocking amount of wolf attacks where there's victims in the double digits. Like, this happens a lot. Don't fuck with wolves. Well, and I think the thing is, is we're in a a point now in the evolution of dogs and everything where 
a lot of people who aren't familiar with what true like northern well world wildlife is like and they think oh pupper and it's like no no that pupper is hungry yeah and it's gonna eat you and that pupper is probably a lot bigger than you ever imagined it to be absolutely and i mean you see it all the time here even driving through like the national parks in like banff and jasper where you see tourists on the side of the road getting way too close to the wildlife like bears and stuff and it's like oh my god guys get back in your yeah, car what are you doing Oh, my God. So, okay, all of that being said, I know I just threw a lot of information at you guys. <laughs> was this a wolf? Maybe. <laughs> I think it was something gigantic, but I also think that it was likely more than one animal. Like, I think this was just a lot of different attacks that were happening in a really small area at the same time, and the press really didn't help. So that that's my thought. What do you think? I, I honestly, I'm in the same line of thinking. I think likely there was multiple wolf attacks, but as the story was passed from person to person, it grew and grew and grew. And then, like, as we said, the church started using it strategically. Um, and I think when the church started using this sort of legend, it would have lent a level of credibility to the stories. 100%. And then plus, you know, the press at the time inflating them to sell papers and stuff. So... Yeah, I think it was likely, and plus, not to say that their story wasn't true, but the group of, like, 10-year-old boys might have been spinning some yarns maybe a little bit, you know? You're not wrong. And, I mean, it, it, it's interesting that you said that because, like, not everyone at the time might listen to the press, but true. most likely everyone at the time would listen to the church. Yes. So if the church is telling you to be afraid, you're going to be afraid. And like I said, most people were not educated and that was their source of kind of authority at the time. So, yeah. Thanks, church. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This was a super fun story. It's, again, a great example of how the press can sometimes play a very unhelpful role in these situations. These terrifying stories that they told certainly sold copies, but it's also because of them that we may never know what exactly this thing was. But at least we're left with some really awesome illustrations and stories. Including a fucking ripper song from the band Powerwolf, who I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Like, all their songs are about, like werewolves and vampires and they literally have a song called beast of Javudan. go check it out they sing it in english and french which is super cool i actually you were telling me about it so i did go check it out and friends after this episode go listen to it show them yeah, some love wolf's badass what we do know is that something in Javudan really did cause the deaths of probably hundreds of people while this story leaves us with questions there is no doubt that what these people went through was an absolute nightmare Agreed. All right. So next week, we are starting a new series featuring one of the worst serial killer stories we've ever talked about. Yep. We are ending our year with our 40th episode, and it's going to be a heavy one. So consider yourselves warned. On a much happier note, thank you to everyone who has supported our merch store. It's etsy.com slash thegrimcurriculum. We have stickers, magnets, and we just added our first keychain design. And they're super cute. So go check them out. <laughs> Another great way to support the podcast is by checking out our Patreon. We have all sorts of fun content on there starting at $3 a month, including our Grim VIP tier. And as always, we want to shout out to all of our VIPs. Thank you so much to Pink Flamingo 20, 
Brian, Hillary, Lisa, and Mayhem Mudkip. Thank you. You are the bomb.com. Until then, make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at the Grim Curriculum and Grim Curriculum on Twitter. We are also on TikTok and Facebook, so you can look us up there. And we are on almost all podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Did you know that the average person walks past roughly 36 murderers throughout their life? Now you know. Enjoy. Bye. Bye.